0: Two,
1: three. Welcome to the intro before the intro of a very special one year anniversary podcast episode of A Holy Mess with His Holy Mess, Father Paul. We started out one year ago today, kind of trippy, uh, not really sure what to think about it, but I want to thank Dave Sturcio from Chop Sports Network for getting me started one year ago, would never have been able to start this podcast without dave sturchio uh some people still ask about him today how's he doing where has he been what's he doing check out chop sports media dave sturchio he's all over so- social media i want to thank my buddy jimmy palumbo for inspiring me just by doing his own podcast and then of course uh fly on a wall with dana carvey and david spade uh it was listening to them when i was like you know what i want to do this i know it sounds like a weird connection but that had a, lo- a lot to do with it uh Obviously, as you know from the title of this episode, I have Dr. Christopher West with me. Uh, He's the first guest that comes back. Uh, First guest that I've already had, if you haven't heard those episodes, those episodes are called God, Sex, and Our Holy Mess. Uh, Two different episodes that we did early on, about a year ago. Uh, This time, he's back to talk about his brand new book that's not even out yet. It'll be out next week. Uh, We'll get into that later. If this is your first time hearing anything about the Theology of the Body, if this is the first time that you're ever hearing Christopher West talk, um, all I'm going to say is listen to the whole episode. Listen to the entire context, okay? Okay some of his critics say, well, you know, he, he sexualizes everything or he over-sexualizes everything. And that you have to understand the theology of the body in its proper context, okay? I mean, and let's be honest, let's be honest. Our culture over-sexualizes everything. Literally twist. I mean, I watched the movie with my dad last night and it wasn't even like, it wasn't, you wouldn't even have thought that it would have been like a raunchy movie. But I was surprised of how much, Sex talk. There was, you know, about you know, BJ's and anal, and you're like, oh my gosh, you're a priest, you're saying that word, BJ and anal. It's like, no, okay, get over it. This is our culture. It's talking about our kids at a very young age are joking about all these things. We are completely, uh, you know, the pornography pornography is thrown in our face all the time. Nakedness, 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 sex, 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 sex. It, this Theology of the Body is not about us, the church, coming down to the world's level. It's about going, uh, bringing this crap that the world has twisted and raising it to the heavens of God's original plan for sexuality. We need to stop being puritanical. We need to stop being—it's not about being prude. It's about being real and honest about the truth of our sexuality— okay let's 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 like our kid we need to start learning this stuff from a young age the truth because we're learning the counterfeit the lie so stay with us on that there's a couple other things that i want to say in this intro uh yesterday was my brother's birthday Uh, my brother passed away six years ago he would have turned 39 yesterday it was the seventh birthday without him on this earth uh, Kevin John Hula so if you could just I truly do believe that he's in heaven but it doesn't hurt to still pray for his soul and especially for my family especially my mom my dad and his son Gavin who's only 12 years old um I want to thank all my guests that I've had on in the past year every single one of them I was shocked of how many people said yes uh beyond grateful uh Go back and check out the episodes. I don't think you'll be disappointed. And I just want to say thank you to every single one of my guests that have said yes in the past year. Um, I released an episode last week on Friday called The Holy Land Episode. Unbeknownst to me, there would have been a war started there about a day or two after I released this episode. So if you see the episode and you haven't heard it yet, you might think that it has to do with, with the war but it doesn't it has to do with the fact that I was just there two weeks ago on a pilgrimage there and this episode is me just talking about my experience on the pilgrimage about two days later after the episode release all hell broke loose in Israel and uh, it's obviously you all know about that it's all over the news it's horrendous it's disgusting and we're all praying for everybody so I just wanted to you know put that out there that I, I didn't get the comment on The war I don't know a lot about the history and all the all the stuff like that um, But that's not what this episode is about. It's about the pilgrimage that was there We need to seriously seriously not just talk about praying for Israel not just talking about praying for the innocent victims um, We we need to actually really do so. Okay um, This is their 9-11 as the president said over there um, also Last thing is, uh, we're gonna have. Please email any questions that you have about the Catholic faith, Catholic faith, about religion, about um, morality, anything to grillinghisholymess at gmail We're gonna do a special episode uh, where you could ask me anything. Put me on the hot seat. Anything about my life, about God, about Catholicism, about religion, morality, anything at all. Grillinghisholymess at gmail Pause this right now ask any questions. My friends Tony and Cheryl, they will see your questions. They will print them out and then they will ask me them on a live episode. I won't know what questions are coming. It's going to be a lot of fun, but please, there's not a lot of questions so far. So just email the questions there. That's G-R-I-L-L-I-N-G-H-I-S-H-O-L-I-M-E-S-S at gmail.com. mess at gmail.com. So, my dear friends without further ado uh i bring to you another episode an amazing episode with dr christopher west on his brand new book called eating the sunrise reflections on liturgy and our hunger i think i messed up the subtitle but you'll check it out god bless you love you please if you haven't done so yet Please rate this. Stop. Go to Apple Podcasts. Go to Spotify or wherever you listen to this. If you're watching it on YouTube, subscribe, like, comment, rate, and review. You can rate it on any podcast app that you have. Rate, review. God bless you. Share. Love you. Peace. Talk to you soon. All right, holy messes. Welcome back to a special episode of a holy mess with his holy mess. Father Paul. Yes, this is the one year anniversary episode of the podcast. October 12th, 2022 is when it started and you will hear this episode on October 12th, 2023. And I am very blessed and I don't say that word lightly. I don't use that word lightly here. I am blessed to have my my brother my friend my teacher my mentor dr christopher west back on the podcast he's the first recurring guest the guest that we've had on i asked him if he could please be my guest for the one-year anniversary show and here he is we are going to talk about his brand new book that is about to be released next week dr christopher west welcome back as a
0: guest on a holy mess Father Paul, you and I are a holy mess together. I'm really happy to be with you and your listeners.
1: Thank you, brother, and uh, and this is going to be a, a little bit of a mess. Uh, thank you for blessing me about a year ago now, when or or maybe about you know eleven months ago when you came on the first time. That was uh, great episodes. You gave me two hours of your time, and thank you for giving me uh, your time here. Now you have a new book coming out, which. I had the honor to read uh, every single word, and it really, truly blessed me. and um, I'm happy to have you on here to talk about it, and hopefully that the you know few listeners that I do have will immediately go and get a copy right here right now or pre-order a copy because it is truly a book that I think is life changing. and I don't say that to just you know feed your ego. This was a potently beautiful, unbelievable book that I needed to read. Mm. And I want everybody uh, to read it. Uh, so uh, what is the 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 title of your new book? Uh, well, I could t- tell you what the title is, but well, why don't you tell us what the title is, please? Yeah,
0: I actually have an advanced copy right here. Ooh. <laughs> Look at that cover. That's beautiful. That is some artwork from my daughter, Beth.
1: Yes, I, I read it. I read that in the acknowledgments. That's beautiful.
0: Yeah. And it's called "Eating the Sunrise," and I'll talk about that in a minute. Why is it called "Eating the Sunrise"? And the subtitle is "Meditations on the Liturgy and Our Hunger for Beauty." So I'm going to say a little bit about the title, but then Father Paul, I'm going to I'm going to pull a fast one on you.
1: All right, you could yeah, whatever you want. You didn't do. know
0: this. You didn't know. You thought you were going to be interviewing me. Okay. But. Uh oh. Since you read the book,
1: I did. I literally did.
0: I'm going to be interviewing you. Okay, brother. So I'm asking you some questions about this book. But let me let me talk about the uh, let me talk about the title. So years ago, I was in class and one of my students, I'm still in touch with this guy. He's doing great work promoting the theology of the body. His name's Evan Lemoyne. Did you ever take a class with Evan Lemoyne?
1: I'm not sure when I read, uh, see, I even read the footnote. Okay. And I, when I read that, I was like, I wonder if I know him, but I haven't, I didn't have a chance to uh, look him up yet or not.
0: He's from the States, but he lives in Mexico and he's fluent in Spanish and he does most of his work in, in the Spanish speaking world, spreading theology of the body. But anyway, it was years ago. He was a student of mine and we were talking about this hunger, this ache for beauty. And he said, Christopher, I don't, I don't want to just behold a sunrise. I want to eat it. I want to take it into me. And C.S. Lewis says something very similar. He says, you know, beholding beauty is one thing, and, and it's almost enough for us. But he says, nah, there's more. We want something even more. We want something we can't even put into words. We want to participate in the beauty we behold. And this is the mystery of the liturgy we we don't just behold the beauty of God from afar we eat the sunrise we eat the sunrise mm-hmm. and it's it's the it's the fitting it's a fitting image for for explaining what we do in the eucharist because you know the the traditional posture of prayer for the mass in the latin it would be praying ad orientum which means the priest is leading the people to the land of the rising sun, to the Orient. Why does the church traditionally pray her liturgy facing the rising sun? Well, the key is in Psalm 19, where we read that the sun comes forth like a bridegroom from his tent, and nothing on earth is concealed from the burning heat of the sun, or we could say the burning love of the bridegroom. What is the liturgy? The liturgy is meant to be the orienting of the bride's longing for love, for union, for communion, to the coming of the bridegroom. And this marriage between Christ and the church is literally written in the stars, right? What's the closest star to planet earth? It's the sun. Why do we pray the liturgy ad orientum? to orient our hearts to the coming of the bridegroom, where we come to Mass and we bring our hunger to the altar and we eat sunrise. We we participate in the beauty of God. And and I use this phrase in the book. I say, we become divinized by digestion. Divinized by digestion. (laughs) What? 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 Think think of, and I talk about this also in the book, like, think how we, we take the world, an infant is born, and what does it desire first? It desires the breast, right? It cries out for the breast. I want to, I mean, literally, I want to suck on my mother's breast to drink in her milk, right? Yep. This is not only biology, this is theology. We are hungry. We are hungry for more than than just mother's breast. Mother's breast is a sign to us of heaven. In fact, Isaiah 66 describes heaven as where we will all drink from the abundant breast of the new Jerusalem and find comfort in the overflow of her milk. So we all have this kind of almost a fixation of of taking into our mouths, right? And and a baby will, will not just with the breast, but say the baby's like a toddler now. How does it explore the world? Everything goes in the mouth, right? And we have to learn the hard way as infants, oh, you can't put that in your mouth or you shouldn't put that in your mouth or it's not safe to put that in your mouth. And we can kind of think as adults, well, oh, well, that goes away once we grow up. No, it doesn't. No, it does not. What? It comes, it, it, it becomes a flame of yearning in us that gets expressed, for example, in, in an passionate kiss right what is the passionate kiss of lovers what are they saying with their mouths if not i want to taste you i want to eat you i want to take you into me it's not enough just to behold how beautiful you are i need to put my mouth on you i need to taste you i need to i need to have you in me i want to be nourished by your beauty right this is this is a This is a fundamental human reality. Indeed, what does the lover, the bride, in the Song of Songs, right in the very first line, she says to the bridegroom, kiss me with the kisses of your mouth. As if there are any other kind of kisses, right? Kiss me with the kisses of your mouth. And saint after saint has told us that the fulfillment of that yearning of the bride Happens in the Eucharist. Mm. Adoration, adoration. You read this in the book. What is? Do you remember what the word adoration means? If you pick it apart, the literal meaning of adoration. Ad aura
1: toward, toward the toward the Orient toward the Orient.
0: No, ad aura means oh, at, the on at the mouth. At the mouth. At the mouth. At the mouth. To be in adoration of God is to be mouth to mouth with God. I mean, that's the kind of intimacy we are called to with God. Again and again and again and again throughout the scriptures, God compares the intimacy he wants to have with us to the intimacy of a husband and wife in all of their glorious affections and in their union. This is what makes our bodies not only biological, but theological. They tell this divine story,
1: and I think you do a great job of explaining why they tell a divine story and why they are not merely biological. But and you address this greatly in the book as well. Um, I could already sent you know some of my lectures. But w- what do you mean? What what is he talking about? I, I've never heard anything like this. I mean, this sound this is like sexual. This is you know semi pornographic. Whoa, whoa whoa whoa
0: whoa 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 whoa. Do not use that word. Do not use that. Do not do. I refuse, abjectly refuse to apply that word to anything I have ever said in my life about Zach. Exact, no,
1: exactly. I am already, I am, I am, I don't believe this, Christopher. I am dis- I don't sure. like,
0: I don't even like that word coming close to this. Let me, let me try to ex- explain what I think you're getting at that we come to these things with our own pornographic lenses yes, and we project our own impurity onto these beautiful, pure, glorious mysteries that God has written into our bodies. Amen. Right? St. Paul says, to the pure, all things are pure, but to the impure, nothing is pure, right? Even what is pure is impure. For example... If you go into the Sistine Chapel with pornographic lenses on, you're going to project your own impurity onto Michelangelo's purity. Correct. Right? Yes. That's what St. Paul means when he says, to the impure, nothing is pure. Right? John Paul II, in the restoration project of the Sistine Chapel, ordered the removal of many of the loincloths that other popes had ordered to be painted over Michelangelo's original nudes, right? JP two says, take them off, and take them off because Michelangelo, with his artistic skill and with his purity of heart, allowed himself to be guided in painting those nudes by the evocative words of the book of Genesis, where we read that the man and his wife were both naked and felt no shame. And then John Paul II goes on to say that the Sistine Chapel is the sanctuary of the theology of the human body. Amen.
1: Amen. And you explain that so beautifully about the eyes, about the light, about the darkness, about, you know, you even talk about not confusing the word eros with the, uh, with pornea, you know, right. the size and everything like that. I'm saying, I know I have some listeners that they're like, oh, I don't go to church by listening to your podcast, right? So this might be brand new to them yeah, if they yeah. haven't heard the, the previous episode, right? Because we are saturated, saturated in our culture um, by, in a certain sense, the whole pornea, the whole yeah. eroticism, the whole pornography, the twisted, the tainted, the distorted view of human sexuality. Right, and what right. you have done for me in my life, what you've done with your work, And what you do on a next level in this book, I'll I'll ask you in a second, how is this book different from your other books? Because you've written many books about the theology of the body. Um, But, you know, we... we, (sighs) We don't really hear these things when we're kids growing up in you know, the CCD you know. or Catholic school that God wants to kiss us with the kisses on his mouth, that we're meant to eat the sunrise. You know, like people, are, well, what does that mean? And I, because I've studied your work and John Paul II's for 20 something years, I have a great it's changed my life and I strive to live by it. But some people and not to do an intro to TOB, but I think you even get into that in this book. Like you you even say at one point, you say, Okay, why am I only talking about chastity now after seven chapters? Right. right because right. because it, you know, because of I, I have to lay the foundation and reclaim certain things that have been distorted. So right. What sin has twisted, what the devil has twisted, as, as you say, the devil doesn't have his own clay. He could only mock what, what God has given us. You yes. take the time in this book to, 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 to show us, as John Paul II said, as Jesus said, in the beginning it was not so. What was it like in the original garden before, before the fall, before sin? Be, you know, So that's, that's only what I'm getting at. You know what I mean? That, that I know was, I jumped on
0: you really hard there. I jumped on your heart, but I wanted to make sure that the word pornographic does not get connected in any way in people's minds with with this, with the theology of the body. Because it, it all goes back to that principle you just mentioned that you've heard me say many, many times, the devil doesn't have his own clay. The body is not inherently pornographic. The body is inherently theographic, and by that I mean it tells the divine story. It tells the story that God himself is life-giving love, right? God's love is generous. It generates from all eternity. The Father is generating the Son, not in a sexual way because God is not sexual, but in a divine way. The Father is generating the Son eternally. To share with the Son the love of the Holy Spirit. God's very being, His very essence, is an an eternal act of generation. Father, Son, Father, Son, Son, Father, sharing the love of the Holy Spirit. Why did God give us the ability to generate sons and daughters? To be a sign in this world of the eternal generation of the Son right? Our, our bodies themselves are theological. They tell a divine story. And this is why the enemy hates our sexuality, hates our fertility, hates the call of the two to become one flesh, hates the call of the two to be fruitful and multiply, because he hates the Trinity. He hates the Father generating the Son. And he can't get his hands on God himself, but he can get his hands on the image of God. Male and female, he created them, in the image and likeness of God, he made them, and he blessed them, and he said, be fruitful and multiply. The enemy is after our our sexuality. He's after our maleness, our femaleness, and in a particular way, he's after our fertility. Why? Because it is woman's fertility, in particular, that gives flesh to God. A woman's body, the ultimate purpose of a woman's body, is to give flesh to God the pinnacle the apex of feminine beauty is mary pregnant mary mary giving flesh to god why are you and i father paul so blasted attracted to the feminine form right i mean we can we i'm sure we can tell stories from when the earliest memories probably we have are are of attraction to feminine beauty I know some of my earliest memories are attraction to feminine beauty. Why, why, why? If you clear away all the pornographic BS, which is diabolical and comes from hell and has one goal, to blind us to this truth. The end game of pornography is to blind us to this truth. What truth? God comes to us through woman's body. God comes to us through woman's body, basic bedrock, biblical truth. God comes to us through woman's body. And if that's real, if that's true, if Christmas is not just some story about wise men bringing, you know, gifts to to some stable, uh, but the baby in that stable is really the eternal Son, generated eternally by the Father, then what is Mary's body? Mary's body became heaven on earth, the dwelling place of the Most High God. We intuit that. We intuit that as men. We we maybe can't put it in words, but we intuit there's something that woman has to offer us that we yearn for. And what she has to offer us is the mystery of God in the flesh. That's what woman ultimately offers us. Every woman on the planet tells that story. That woman's body has become the dwelling place of the most high God. Heaven on earth. So what does a man's body reveal? <laughs> the man's body reveals that we are designed by God with the utmost R-E-S-P-E-C-T, right? With the utmost respect, we are designed by God to enter the gates of heaven. The theology of a woman's body is one of temple, dwelling place, the courts of the Lord. The theology of a man's body is one of priesthood. The priest is the one who enters the temple, enters the holy of holies, enters the innermost court to make the ultimate sacrifice. Right, All of this theology, profound theology of priesthood and temple and sacrifice is inscribed in the sexual difference as male and female. This is why we cannot understand what the liturgy is. Unless we first understand why God made us male and female.
1: Christopher, I have read many of your books. Uh, I I, I don't know if I've read every single one, but I've read many of your books. I've learned a lot from each and every single one of them. I've taken about eight or nine of your courses already, um, and I've gotten something from every single one. Highly recommend them all. I have learned things in this new book of yours that either I was reminded of that I forgot or that I learned for the first time, especially certain things, because I haven't taken your course on Mary yet which I really want to do about the, some of the things that you wrote in here about the blessed virgin mary about the meaning and the purpose of her body of her of her receptivity I it I I, I cannot tell you how much I outlined how much I highlighted and then the liturgy I remember th- I'm like this is like an unbelievable book not just on the mass but on the meaning, I mean, I'm like, if people read this book, people would would die to go to daily mass. To go to daily mass, I was like, I, I want to stop reading this and say mass privately right now,
0: you know. All right, so here's the reverse interview, Father. Okay. So I'm start asking you some questions. All
1: right. Okay. All right. I, I have a couple. Of, okay. I'll come back and forth with different things I want to say. I have Are some notes too, but you go ahead and all right. listen. I, I swear I read every word, but I don't have the best memory in the I'm world. Not, I'm, I'm not, not going to be – this is
0: not a test. This is all right, not a brother.
1: All I, right. Want
0: you, I don't want you to speak from I'll, your head. I'll let
1: you know how it blessed me. I'll tell you that.
0: I don't want you to speak from your head here. I want you to speak from your heart. All okay? right, brother. What was your favorite part of the book? Oof. The,
1: where I highlighted the most and was like literally wrote wow and like help and all this stuff – was and I think this doesn't come as a surprise to you. Was uh, there was a little bit of it in the beginning, and then certainly towards the end of the way of beauty is the cross, um, and the way of beauty is through the cross that we cannot, in any which way, shape, or form, hold on to what our heart truly we. You know, because we there's a the whole thing that helped me also is about the fact that we are. I forget what Monsignor Albusetti said about uh, that That word, we're in the uh, unstable. Basically, we, our hearts, our souls desire things. We are structurally are,
0: disproportionate.
1: Structurally disproportionate. So we are structured for something that we can never really fully have. We can never truly behold. This desire of our heart that we have is for the infinite. Nothing will ever be enough. No finite thing on this earth will ever be able to to. Fulfill completely and saturate any created thing only the creator. So my desire For beauty, okay, my desire for beauty can only be fulfilled by the Beautiful one beauty with a capital B so I may be attracted to a beautiful sunrise or the Grand Canyon or to a woman and That is going with this whole concept that I want you to be able to explain this theophany that I see um in a particular finite beautiful thing something raises my mind to something that's even more beautiful so if i look at a beautiful sunrise or the grand canyon i see that but then i don't only see that that lifts my heart and my mind to something even greater to the beautiful one who created those things okay and in our culture we go wrong by thinking that creature that created thing I need that because that is going to satisfy me. That's going to fill me. They are so beautiful. That woman, is. she will complete me. She will be my end-all, be-all. Or um, this food, I, I just can't get enough of it. This yeah. must satisfy me. And the problem is, is that when we see good, created, beautiful things like a beautiful woman, a sunrise, the Grand Canyon, food, I don't know, alcohol, tobacco, whatever it is, thinking that that finite thing will fill feel, feel this infinite thirst. But no, 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 no. That's when it becomes uh, idolatry. Right. Those things are meant to be icons, windows that point us, give us a glimpse into heaven, yes. our eternal home, right? So that helped me. And that's not necessarily a new theme because, you, as you said, in in uh, your book, Fill These Hearts, You you talk about those different things, the starvation yeah. diet, the the, uh, the addict. The fast food. Yes, exactly. Right. But I think that sometimes I, myself, I forget this, right. And you spoke so beautifully of yourself, even with the analogy of the, uh, the, the tree, is it the rose petal tree? The, the red bud tree. tree that you, you kind of notice the beauty, but you don't want to get sucked in because you know that those petals that they're going to die. And that what was so beautiful is then not going to be there. And you don't want to, you don't want to suffer that ache, right? You don't want to suffer that ache. You want the beauty without the death, without the cross. Correct. Correct. that, especially towards the end here, I I don't know the exact name of that, of the chapter off the top of my head, but for me, 100%, I want to bypass the, I still want the beauty. I still, but without the cross without the death, without the self-discipline, without the fasting, you know what I mean? I loved your whole thing on, on, on fasting and feasting. And so my favorite part of the book was, I think the encouragement, the reality that this really does exist, that God will completely fill my heart with all it longs for, totally and completely. There is a promised land. There is a land flowing with milk and honey. God will fill me but I must, I must first also die with him. He rose. I must die. I must stay on the cross. I must not, I must not grasp. I'd never heard of this thing before. You quoted a priest that said that maybe, speculatively, maybe one of the reasons why Adam and Eve in the garden uh, ended up grasping, or or I I don't want to miss word the uh, mess up the words that you use is because possibly they were ma- maybe given a vision of 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 Christ of the cross on the cross and it scared them yep and it, they 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 didn't want that and i was like oh my goodness cuz i want the beauty i want the fulfillment but man i'm a, I, even if i get a little bit sick i'm a baby yeah. You know, just like you were so vulnerable about with that the 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 rosebud uh, tree, you don't want. You know, yeah, that's my that's my thing. I want the beauty. Thanks for saying that. Thanks for giving me the courage to say that publicly. I want the beauty without the cross, without the suffering. So yeah. that was my probably my favorite. I mean, there were so many excellent things, but um, yeah. Oh, that- you're
0: you're swimming in it. You, I can tell that you really took the book to heart, and I can't tell you how encouraging that is to me and and how it blesses me because that's what I wrote this book from my heart I wrote this book from a place of of deep prayer and meditation and to see that it's landed in your heart and that you've opened your heart and let it in is a real blessing I just want to I say I want to say thank you to you for for really taking it in you're you're describing the very essence of the book right here Well, let me, let me,
1: sorry to cut you. Let me just say one thing. I mean, let's be honest, without saying anything specific, because you and I are friends or whatever, and uh, I needed to read this book right now. This was meant, this was meant to be. And, you know, you and I, we spoke a couple of weeks ago about something else that I was going through. It was a great encouragement. And I don't think it was a coincidence that you have this book coming out. You were blessed, uh, grateful enough to send me an early copy. It, I needed it. It was a blessing to me. This did not go here. This went here, and this book is helping me take that desire for all that is beautiful yep, to yep. to the capital B, not the lowercase beauties of this world, but not just to the creatures, but to the Creator. You know what I mean? So yes, yes. whenever I, whenever I dive in the theology of the body, and and my spiritual director said this to me once. He know he goes, you know, you are always extremely encouraged in your vocation as a celibate priest whenever you take a course with Theology of the Body, whenever you read one of their books, because it it just reminds me of the bigger picture. It reminds me to see with, uh, I forget the biblical expression, but, um, so let's just be honest. I I needed, this book was a blessing to me. The whole reminder of the theophanies and bringing eros to eros and, and all that stuff. And then especially beauty via the cross. Don't come down. Don't come. Don't you dare come off that cross. You stay there, let it pass over and you will experience a resurrection. So thank you for writing this. You're
0: welcome. Let let me, for your listeners, let me describe what I mean by that word theophany, because it's not a, it's not a word we use typically, but it's a word that I use throughout the book. So we have to understand what that is. And here's the thesis statement of the book. This is chapter one. And I say this, there's a three point thesis to the book. Number one, we are made to slake our thirst at the fountain of infinite beauty. Hmm. Right. And I start the book, as you said, with the story of this beautiful redbud tree in my backyard that woos me every spring when it blossoms, but i I, I kind of like, nah, I see your beauty, but i don't I don't want to enter in cause you're gonna piss me off in three weeks when all those buds fall to the ground and die. But let's pay attention to that. why am i why am I sad when the red bud tree, when the buds die? That sadness tells me that I want a beauty that lasts forever. I don't want beauty to die. I don't want beauty to fade. Um, My wife and I are now in our 50s. We've been married almost 28 years, and we're getting old and gray and wrinkly, and I don't like it. Why don't I like it? I don't like it because it reminds me of death, right? Every gray hair on my head, every age spot on my face is a reminder that I'm headed to the grave. Every gray hair on my wife's head, every wrinkle on her cheek is a reminder that she's headed to the grave. And I don't like that. I don't like death. I am not a fan. Death is awful. Death is horrible. Death is literally, um, it ruptures us literally. It separates our body and our soul, right? It ruptures us. We are never meant to be separated in this way. We are made for a beauty, a life, a love. A body that doesn't age and die. We're made for, for glorified bodies. That's what we're made for. Mm. But we have to face this fact that the beauty in this world fades. Here's the second part. So the first point, again, we're made to slake our thirst at the fountain of infinite beauty. Number two, finite beauty, that red bud tree or the Grand Canyon, as you said, or a sunset or or the human body. Finite beauty is but a sign of infinite beauty. And that's where the word theophany comes to play. Theophany is a word from Eastern theology, from the Eastern Church. It's not a word we often use in the Latin Church, although it does make an appearance in the catechism. But the word theophany, it's a Greek word. It just means to show God. Uh, to to reveal God, theophany, theophany, to show God. So whenever you have that experience of like a starlit night and you're just in awe of, of the creator and what he's created, that's theophany, the encounter with the creator through what he has created. Mm. So again, we're made to slake our thirst in infinite beauty. That's point number one. Number two, finite beauty is but a sign or a theophany of infinite beauty. And point number three, to reach the everlasting beauty with a capital B, we must pass over from the sign to the reality signified through a painful dying that promises a glorious rising again. For the joy set before him, Christ endured the cross. And what did Jesus, this is another interview question for you, Father Paul. Are you ready? Amen, yeah. Yes, sir. What did Jesus say to Peter when Peter said, Jesus, you don't have to go through the cross.
1: Get behind me, Satan. Get. You were thinking not as God does, but as human beings do.
0: Get behind me, Satan. What does that tell us? Every time, the promise of the fulfillment of Eros, what is Eros? I define Eros in the book as this yearning and crying out of the human body and soul for infinite beauty. That's what Eros is at its deepest place. It's a cry of the human heart for the true, the good, and the beautiful, for everlasting truth for everlasting goodness, for everlasting beauty. Eros is our desire for God. That's what it is. right? And whenever the fulfillment of Eros is held out to us, apart from the cross, you can have that fulfillment without the cross. Our response should be,
1: Get behind me, Satan.
0: Get behind me, Satan. For what Christ reveals to us, is that the only path to the fulfillment of the deepest desires of our heart, the only path, is through what the fathers of the church describe, and I I talk about this at great length in the book, It's through the marriage bed of the cross. This is what happened at the cross, the consummation of a marriage. Christ the bridegroom, giving up his body for his bride, And that's symbolized at the foot of the cross by the woman. Mm. Whenever Jesus calls Mary woman, we're at a wedding. Right? And I know this kind of bugs people or kind of makes them feel weird. Wait a minute. That's his mother. Well, let me quote the Baltimore Catechism. In the flesh, she's always his mother. But in the spirit, Mary is the bride of Christ. We have to look at this as a theophany. We have to look at this as a a revelation of the great mystery of Christ giving up his body for his bride. St. Augustine described this as the marriage bed of the cross, where Christ mounts the marriage bed, not in pleasure, but in pain, to give up his body for his bride so that the church might become one body with him. Right? What happens to Mary at the foot of the cross? The woman, she becomes the mother of all the living. Jesus says, woman, behold your son. And the beloved disciple, John, represents the mystical offspring of the mystical marriage of Christ and the church. And I outline in great detail in the book how the very entryway to the kingdom, the very entryway to everything we desire, Jesus says you have to be regenerated. You have to be born anew. And this is where grace perfects nature. Right? What does the word you remember from the book, Father, what the word nature means? The Latin root natus. Do you know remember what that means? Natus.
1: I don't. I don't, I'm sorry.
0: Think of the word nativity. It means birth. The very word nature, natus in Latin means birth. When when the church in her theology says grace. Perfects nature, what the church is saying is grace is the perfection of birth. Grace is the perfection of generation. Why? What does grace do? It regenerates you. Yeah. And notice when when Nicodemus was confused and he's like, born again, regenerate? What? Can a man enter his mother's womb a second time? Notice that Jesus does not say no. He rather raises the conversation to a whole new level, to a supernatural kind of generation and birth. And I I draw this out in the book also. It, it, It struck me so profoundly last Easter, on Easter Sunday morning, when we read that Nicodemus, along with Joseph of Arimathea, Nicodemus is the one who lays him in the tomb. What is this? What do we see here? Can we not see how Jesus is so tenderly and personally answering Nicodemus's question? Can a man enter his mother's womb a second time? Well, who puts him right in the womb of the earth? Nicodemus. Yeah. Nicodemus puts Jesus in the womb of the earth from which Jesus will be regenerated. Born anew on Easter Sunday, East Easter Sunday, right? Why do we pray the liturgy ad orientum, facing the east, facing the rising sun? Because it's all about the resurrection of Jesus on Easter Sunday. It's about the sun coming forth like a bridegroom from his chamber. That's what the tomb is. It's now become a womb. Right? And the place of death has become a place of life. Right? Satan's goal is to turn the womb, the place of life, into a tomb, place of death. Yeah. But Jesus enters right into this hell and redeems it all and turns the tomb, the place of death, back into a womb, place of life. This is our faith. And it's all written right in our bodies. Theology of the body.
1: What made you, you've written a lot of books. What is something that, what made you write this specific book now? What is different about this book than some of your other books that, that you want these, the listeners to know to, 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 to read it?
0: Yeah. Um, I once heard it said that every thinker, every philosopher, every theologian basically has one thing to tell the world, and he spends his whole life telling the world that one thing in all kinds of different ways. And every single book I've written, I have one thing to tell the world. Your body tells the story of God. Your body tells the gospel story. Your body proclaims the divine message. And everything I've ever written, every talk, every course I've ever given is an invitation to to open our eyes to see how that is true. I've been at this for 30 years. I discovered John Paul's Theology of the Body in 1993. And the more I grow, the more I continue on my own journey, the deeper these mysteries get. And you start to see things that you didn't see before. And so you could look back at all the books I've written over the years and just see my, my own maturing, my own depth growing It gets deeper and deeper. And this is at this stage of my journey, 30 years in to really giving my life to reflecting on this. This is what I have to say at this point. And a few years from now, I, I imagine I'll keep writing books, God willing, and I'll have more to say but these are infinite mysteries that means you never exhaust them you you there's there's always more and and this is the stage of my own reflection and it has taken me ever more deeply into at this stage of my journey i'd say what i'm seeing more clearly than ever is the crisis between the liturgy or the relationship between the liturgical crisis and the sexual crisis of the culture and the church—you can't understand one without the other. The gender confusion and the chaos going on in the culture there is—is is, there's a there's a direct correlation with the craziness and the confusion going on in the liturgy, and I might add, in the architecture of the church. Mm. When you think about the churches that have been constructed over the last. 50 years, not all of them, this is not a blanket statement, but a lot of them demonstrate, and here I quote Pope Benedict, Benedict XVI, he says, liturgical understanding, both among priests and laity, is deficient to a deplorable extent. Our understanding of, let's put it this way, if the liturgy, if the mass is the source and summit of everything we believe, and if our understanding of the liturgy is deficient to a deplorable extent, well, what does that say about our understanding of everything else that Christianity is? Right, we 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 are we are in a in all out catechetical crisis in the modern world. We have have all but lost sight of what our faith proclaims. And the reason we've all but lost sight of what Christianity is, is because we have all but lost sight of the meaning of our bodies. Because at the source and summit of everything we believe is the body of Christ, a male body born of a woman. That's at the source and summit of everything we believe. Right? If you and I'll quote John Paul II, we cannot understand the Church as the sacrament of God of man's communion with God. We cannot understand the Church as this instrument of salvation in the world unless we understand why God made us male and female and calls the two to fatherhood and motherhood. That's what this book is about. It's coming, to under, it's coming to reclaim the true meaning of our bodies so that we can reclaim the true meaning of the liturgy. Because if we don't understand male and female in the liturgy, we have nothing to offer the world. We are in an all-out crisis of diabolical fury against the meaning of our creation as male and female in the world today. We have been given the antidote to the crisis of our times, but it needs to be injected into the bloodstream of the church, right? It's like we have the the antidote right in our hands. John Paul's given it to us, but it's not going to do us any good unless it gets injected into the bloodstream. And the purpose of this book and the purpose of everything we do here at the Theology of the Body Institute is to, to help inject that into the bloodstream of the church, but let me just let me just give you one little insight here. This just dawned on me lying in bed last night. So this is like just starting to bubble up in my heart. I don't think it's an exaggeration to say that there's a a direct line of connection between the gutting of catholic architecture and the gutting of the body with transgender surgeries. Because both the church building and the human body are meant to tell the same story. And when we no longer understand the meaning of the church building, we think, oh, we can change this, we can change that. doesn't matter. It doesn't mean anything. We can design this any way we want. There's no meaning to it. There's no logic to it. Let's just design the temple any way we want. Well, what is the temple? The temple is the body. The body is the temple. Destroy this temple, and in three days I'll raise it up again. What does the scripture say? He was talking about his body. When we think we can just redesign the temple and design it however we want, the logical corollary is we're going to cor-, cor can't even say the word corollary. <laughs> the logical corollary is that we're going to think we can redesign our bodies however we want. Yeah. Or we can go the other way too and we think, well if I can redesign my body however I want, I can redesign the church building however I want. They both flow from the same blindness to the theology Of the body of the temple,
1: yeah. And I, you know, I don't think it's sad that I don't think a lot of people get that connection with what the
0: connection because we look, but we do not see, yeah. We're blind, and we all of us, and I'm first on the list, we have to cry out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. I want to see. This book is an invitation to see what is going on in the world right now. Not just so we'll be horrified, but so that we'll be hopeful that Christ came into the world to give sight to the blind. But what is the key here? I quote extensively. I I, I mean, I, I quote it, but then I unpack it extensively. What Jesus is saying, what he means when he says make sure that your entire body is in the light Mm. and make sure that no part of your body remains in darkness. For if your body remains in darkness, how dark will the darkness be? But if your body and every part of your body comes into the light, then your body will shine like a burning lamp. And that burning lamp will illuminate for you the meaning of your body and the meaning of your whole life and the meaning of the whole universe. But if your body is in darkness, how dark will the darkness be? This is the world we're living in right now. I diagnose that darkness, but it's not all darkness and gloom because the good news is the light of the world has come into the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it.
1: Amen. Amen. Christopher, why—so, all right, we'll, we'll stay on liturgy for a second, because what what, do you, what does it mean to— well, I think you already spoke about, because in the book you get into about how the liturgy reorients our desire. You spoke about the reorienting and, and facing east and everything like that. But you also talk about idolizing— um,
0: Oh, what's the middle word? Idolize, despise, or liturgize. There it is.
1: Idolize, despise, or liturgize, and that's in terms of of our desire. Am, am I correct
0: on that? The whole reality of things, created things, the body, sexuality, erotic desire. We have three choices: idolize, despise, or liturgize. And I'll, I'll walk through. I'll walk through those. So the sexual revolution promoted idolizing the body and sexuality and by that i mean it said we all know we have this erotic desire aim it here and you'll be fulfilled well how we do in 60 70 years later now we 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 will eventually despise whatever we idolize why because we're going to be pissed off that our idol didn't give us what we thought it would. Yeah. Idols can never ever reach the depth of our longing because we're made for the infinite. Right? Idol we when we idolize, we we refuse to go on the pilgrimage from the sign to the reality signified right? We refuse the cross. We say, I want it now. There it is. That's what I want. And we take it. It will never fulfill the desire that you think it will. And then you start to resent the heck out of your idols because they didn't do it for you. So we inevitably go from idolize to despise. What's going on in the world now? We're on the last lap of the sexual revolution. How do we know this? Because we are now despising the very thing we idolized. We are despising the sexual difference itself. We are trying to eliminate it. We are trying to erase it. We We hate it. We idolized it, now we despise it. And we're just going to flip-flop. If we don't know about liturgizing, we're just going to flip-flop between idolizing and despising. right? That's how culture goes, right? Go back a hundred years ago. There was a kind of despising of the body in puritanical America, right? Spirit good, body bad. A woman, you know, a quote, respectable woman would never appear in public with less than like 25 pounds of clothing. That's its own kind of despising the body, right? Fearful approach to the body, despising the body. Well, we went from that pendulum, swung it way over here to idolize it, right? Right? And, and now the pendulum's going way over here where we're despising the body all over again. It's a different flavor of despising it, but we are despising the body in the modern world. Yeah. The only way out of this pendulum swing, idolize and despise is to whoosh, liturgize. And what by does that lit- mean? Yeah, by liturgize, I mean to open it up to the living God. To open up the yearning, to open up the pain, to open up the confusion, to open up the fact that I've been either idolizing or despising or both, and to come to God as I am with all of my ache, with all of my pain, with all of my confusion, and say, I present myself to you as I am, and I offer my body as I am as a living sacrifice. This is your spiritual act of worship, St. Paul says. Offer your bodies as a living sacrifice to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. That's what I mean by liturgize. That's what the liturgy is. Christ is offering his body to us, and he's inviting us to offer our bodies to him. That's what the liturgy is, right? If we are not living the liturgy in that way, all we can possibly be doing is, is flip-flopping between idolizing and despising. Right. And I and I see when I think of liturgize, I think of like the state lottery where they have all those balls popping around. You know? Yeah, yeah. And then they open the, the the suction tube and all of a sudden, shwoom, right? That ball gets sucked up. That's liturgized. That's all we have is the chaos of getting bounced around between idolizing and despising until the heavens open up and we get sucked up by God's love into the heavenly glory. He gives us his body. We give him our bodies. That's to liturgize.
1: And it's, it, it, it's possible, very possible, right? But not easy. And this is where we're talking right. about was, well, you talked about the, the pain of it, the, the death of it. Yes. To somebody that might ask, well, you know, this sounds good. I would like to do this, but why does it have to be painful? Why does there, I understand that there must be a death, but why, you know, is, is, can you speak to that at all? Why would God want us to, okay, you can attain this, but first you must, you must experience a dying.
0: Why? Yeah. I'll tell you a story. I'll answer the question with a story. Some years ago, maybe I don't know, 10 years ago, I was going through a really, really painful purification. And what do I mean by purification? I mean a letting go of my idol and learning how to direct what I was taking to that idol and learning how to liturgize it. Not idolize, liturgize, right? Mm-hmm. Not aim it, not aim my yearning at that created thing but rejoice in that created thing rightly and let let it direct my yearning towards God himself that's liturgizing so i'm in a really painful time where i'm needing to let go and redirect that's called a purification and i was pissed because it was painful and i'm i'm like crying out to god in in a kind of holy anger Like Jesus on the cross. Why, my God, my God, my God, why, why, why? Why have you forsaken me? Why am I in so much pain? I follow you. I've given my life to you and it freaking sucks because I'm going through so much pain. And right then I have a memory of being on a fishing trip with my dad when I was like 12 years old. And I had hooked this fish and I was reeling it in. And as the fish came into the boat, we realized that the fish had swallowed the hook and it was way down in the stomach of the fish. And my dad immediately grabbed a pair of pliers, needle nose pliers from the tackle box, and he grabbed that fish really firmly and he dove down into the fish's throat with those pliers to get the hook out. And and the fish was like... (sighs) Like making these really painful noises and blood was coming out of its gills. And I'm 12 years old and I start to cry. And like, Dad, 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 you're hurting the fish. You're hurting the fish. And he looks at me and he says, I have to do this to set him free. And he finally gets the hook out and he throws the fish back in the water and the fish swims away free. Why did that memory come to me when I was crying out to God? In pain. Who's the fish? Oh, it's you. Yeah, I'm the fish. And what's the hook that I swallowed? Your idol. Satan's lie that this is what you want, that you can have what you want without the cross. It's a lie. I swallowed the freaking hook. All of us, this is the fallen human condition. And we, we don't like to look at this. We like to pretend it's not that bad. How bad is it? Spend some time contemplating a crucifix. That's how bad it is. We have swallowed Satan's hook. Absolutely every one of us. Mm. And unless Jesus died on the cross and rose again to set us free, Mother Teresa is going to hell. Why is Mother Teresa in heaven? Because she did so many good things? Because she was such a nice lady? Mother Teresa is in heaven because Jesus Christ died on the cross for her and rose from the dead. There's no other way. We have all swallowed that hook. Does Jesus or the Father or the Holy Spirit desire that we suffer? No. But it's going to be painful to get that hook out of us. And the Lord will allow whatever it takes to get that hook out of us so that we can be set free. It's going to hurt. It's going to hurt not because God wants us to suffer. It's going to hurt because we disobeyed God to begin with and swallowed the hook. Yeah. And now God himself, this is... I write at great length on this in in uh, several of the chapters about the the logic of the cross and we've gotten this wrong. some even some saints have gotten this wrong where we think we think of the cross as you know God uh, hurling all his wrath on his son. Pope Benedict XVI is so clear that that is a wrong way to look at the cross. It's not God the father hurling his wrath on his son. No, it's God the son saying, I am willing to descend into your hell to pull you out. You have swallowed the hook. You've been pulled down into hell. And I'm willing to go down the whole way into that hell with you to get you to set you free. God is willing to bear our hell so that we can live in his heaven.
1: That's right. In the book, you said there must always be, there's always a descent before there's an ascent. Correct.
0: Correct. There must, the descent precedes the ascent. What does that mean? Christ descends from heaven and he descends the whole, whole way down to hell to grab hell you might say from its coattails and then turn it inside out by ascending with all that hell back into glory to redeem all that hell now nobody's going to be redeemed who refuses it and the demons and Satan himself have already refused it but if we if we give our yes, to Jesus saving us Jesus will descend into our hell which is in our own hearts where the hook is he will descend into that with like those pliers if you will to get that hook out it's a it's a it's a rescue mission like i mean why do we love you know mission impossible movies i mean the ultimate mission impossible is the second person of the trinity Descending to hell to save all of us. Uh, This this is the greatest story ever told. Yeah. And we are part of this grand adventure. If we would but stay still. And let him get the hook out. Mm. It's his love for us. It's it's going to hurt, but it's his love for us to set us free.
1: Amen. Amen. I could I could speak to some of that in my own life and things that have gone on the past couple of weeks. And uh yeah, th- it does pass over if you stay there with him, not on your own asceticism. I love how you talked about that at the end too, about you know, asceticism and fasting and you know, being careful that it's not something that you're just like let you know yourself and
0: you know, just on your yeah. self discipline, spiritual but, calisthenics, where yeah, yeah, spiritual, look calisthenics. how much I fast, look yeah. how many sacrifices i ma- no, 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 wrong paradigm. But it's true, there, there's some things that are,
1: I'll just speak for my, my own life, that are, and I, I'm somebody who feels very intensely. I, whatever, whatever emotion it is, it is, it's intense, and so. When it, when it's going when it's rough when there's a cross when there's a, a suffering when there's something to deny myself when there's a death it's I I don't like it it's very 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 intense and there have been times in my life where it feels so heavy so impossible so overwhelming that again like you said it's like what like I'm following you why am I going through that I'm gonna explode I'm gonna this this sucks this is horrible horrendous right and we're so tempted to believe that we cannot be saved from this this is too intense this is not going to pass so that i therefore need to indulge or idolize if you will or or grasp and take what we think We need that will satisfy the ache instead of with him, in him, through him. I I don't know if you can see my my arms if I extend, but stay on the cross, on the cross with him and uh, in prayer, right, for it to pass over. And the lie is that it's not going to pass over, but it
0: does. It does, yes. It
1: does. And it's amazing what Spending time with Him in prayer, like really spending time with Him in prayer, and you talk about how prayer is a is a uh, is a is a longing of the heart. It's a. There was a, another definition
0: that was it was, uh, it
1: was so simple. I, I can't remember prayer exactly. is nothing
0: but becoming a longing for God.
1: Prayer is nothing but becoming a longing for God. And so, you know, when I really like spend like an hour, ninety minutes, maybe even two hours. I'm not saying everyone needs to do this, but in the presence of Christ in like it, it is true he will he will he will come through for you yes he will it will pass with him in him and he aiming aiming liturgizing your desire your pain yes. whatever it is to him to, yes. him to him to him
0: putting it all on the altar all your pain all your frustration, all your anger, all your questions, all your doubt, all your rage, whatever you are really feeling in your heart, really feeling in your heart, don't censor
1: anything. We lift up our hearts to the Lord. Boom,
0: boom. The
1: offertory, the offertory, the bread and the wine that you speak of, of what those two things represent, the many different things. And then I, I don't think I'll ever say the, uh, is it the invocation the same way again blessed are you Lord God of all creation for through your goodness you have of course I'm saying it now we like, have received
0: the we we have received the bread you offer us right yes
1: and yeah the the uh, through the work of human hands it's it, it just listeners I'm telling if you want to understand, the mass better, if you want to understand the point and purpose of your desires better, of beauty better, of what to do with the ache, the longing in your heart, satisfaction, the meaning of your body, sexuality, do yourself a favor. Please. This one little conversation will not do it justice. Please get a copy of Christopher's new book, And read it and reread it. I will tell you right now publicly that I am going, I have read the book, read every word, but I am going to reread it because I I, I want more of the juices in there. I want seconds. I want seconds.
0: (laughs) So, Father Paul, you're a beautiful soul and a beautiful body, and you're a holy mess.
1: I'm a holy mess, brother. (laughs)
0: Brother Christopher,
1: Dr. Christopher West, do you have? Any more questions for me about the
0: book? Um, was there any time in reading the book where where you thought, "Wow, I've never heard this before"? Yes, uh, yeah, you, I said, so. you said there were a few things. Yeah, yeah, well, and give, I, us one, give us one of the what was oh. one of the things you thought, "I've never heard this before"?
1: Oh Lord, have mercy! Um, it had to do with some of the um, like that's why I need to go back to it about the things about, about Mary, uh, about her role, about her body. And then there was something about like the earth. Um, I can't, I can't remember. I wrote down so much stuff, but there was just so much. Well, first of all, I never heard of the, Theophany of the, that this understanding of Theophany. I never heard of liturgizing Eros or liturgizing desire. So that was new to me in a certain sense. You know, yeah. I know you s- spoke about it in a different way in your other book, Fill These Hearts, but um Yeah, the in-
0: point about the Blessed Mother and the connection with the earth. We we chatted about that a little bit a while ago when we were talking about Jesus going into the earth and the earth becoming a, a, a kind of womb through which he's regenerated. But I unfold in the book how there's this beautiful connection throughout the scripture between the land and the womb, right? The holy land is flowing with milk and honey. Uh, this is all an image that is fulfilled in Mary, the land that that brings forth the harvest of wheat and the harvest of grapes. Well, all that's a reference to the body and blood of Christ, right? The wheat and the grapes, that's all Eucharistic symbol. And if it's the land, the Holy Land, that's flowing with the the harvest of bread and the harvest of grapes, well, that's a direct pointer to what happens in Mary's womb when she conceives the body and blood of Jesus Christ in her womb, right? Her womb is the fulfillment of the Holy Land. Her womb is the promised land. Right? I I like to redeem music from the radio, you know. And and there was that song years ago by John Mayer, Your Body is a Wonderland.
1: Oh, yeah, I remember that well.
0: I like to sing that to the Blessed Mother. Your your body is the holy land. Your body is the holy land. It is. Her body's the holy land. It's it's When we start to make those connections, we are seeing the world sacramentally. And you can't eat a cheeseburger the same way ever again if you're seeing the world sacramentally. You can't enjoy a good beer the same way ever again if you're seeing the world sacramentally. You start to see this mystery everywhere and in everything.
1: If I may, if you're comfortable sharing this, because I don't remember where I, I don't know if you told me this personally or if it was, you spoke of it out loud, but in terms of seeing the word sacramentally, uh, and then I I forgot about the whole thing about laughing with the sacraments, weeping with the sacraments, um, you shared a story once, you were on a pilgrimage or somewhere giving it to, you were exhausted and you were, were by yourself and they came with your dinner. You remember this? Yes, yes, yes. And I is because I think this is in line of what you're talking yes, about. Yes, yes. Seeing yes. everything sacramentally with the earth. Do you mind sharing this story? Because I thought that was potently beautiful.
0: Yeah, I I was in South Africa actually giving a series of talks, and I was really really tired. They had put us up at this um, bed and breakfast somewhere, and there was a cook there who lived in the home who was who would make you a, a meal when you came back. So I come back from a long day of lectures. I was by myself. And um, I ordered from this little menu, and she brought out this beautiful steak. And I was so hungry, and it smelled so good. And I just looked down at the steak, and I started to, like, tear up. And I didn't even know why. It's like, what's going on? And I was like, Lord, I was just said my prayer, you know, bless us, O Lord, and these thy gifts. Okay, this is a gift from you. This is a gift from you. I mean, we say we don't even know what we're saying. Bless us the Lord and these I gifts are based on. Like I I entered, I entered into the prayer. Bless me. You are blessing me, Lord, with this gift. Bless us Lord and these your gifts, which which I'm about to receive from your bounty. And when I when I was like entered into thy the bounty. I started to think of what it took for that steak to get on my plate not just that that woman cooked it not just that somebody had to go to the store to buy it not just that some truck driver had driven it from a farm to the grocery store not just that some farmer had given his life to raising the cattle that brought that cow to that trucker who brought it to the grocery store who brought it to the home who that woman cooked it to brought it on my plate but then I started thinking of all of the cows and bulls throughout all of the history of the earth that had to make baby cows or baby bulls for my steak to end up on my plate. And I saw the generations of cows and bulls back to the beginning of time that mated so I could have this on my plate. And it went the whole way back to the creation of the universe and into the heart of God. And I knew that from all eternity... God had created all of those animals throughout all of history, and all those cows and bulls had fruitful cow and bull sex so that I could have that steak on my plate. And I was just in tears. I saw the bounty, the bounty of the Lord. Bless us, O Lord, and these Thy gifts, which we are about to receive from Your bounty through Christ our Lord. And that steak became a sign of Christ's willingness to die. This cow had to die. That piece of meat was a living animal that sacrificed its life so I could live. Well, Christ came. Christ came to sacrifice his life so that I could live. What am I supposed to do before I eat that steak? I'm supposed to give him thanks for his bounty. Well, you know what it means to give thanks? Eucharistia. hmm Every meal we eat is an opportunity to enter into the sacramentality of the world and our longing for the Eucharist. And I have a whole chapter in the book about eating and how that all leads to the Eucharist, and it's it's just reality. When you start to see the—here's sacramentality. Well, sacramentality is seeing the extraordinary right on the other side of the ordinary. It's just an ordinary steak, but something extraordinary happened through that ordinary steak. That's what it means to see the world sacramentally. Do I see the world that way? Do I mean, is that my experience every time I eat a meal? No, but sometimes the window opens up and you see things and you, gotta, and you gotta walk through those doorways when they open up. Well, there was a time I believe that you
1: saw a coconut being opened up in Hawaii and you started to cry. You had the same I experience.
0: I did, I did. It split me as that. There's this Hawaiian dude who was demonstrating how the native peoples crack a coconut and when he split that coconut, my heart got split open. And that man was Jesus. That was Jesus to me. Like Jesus is, wants to split open my coconut. Um, wanted, wanted to get to the inner part of my heart. And boom, I just I was split open. Those, those are just way. We have because to. Of what, because stuff. of what was
1: inside, right? What's because, that? Because of what he was revealing inside the coconut that you couldn't see unless it was Correct. split open. Correct. And that's another
0: image for why it hurts, because yeah. we cover over all this stuff. We don't want we don't want to be vulnerable. Right. What does vulnerable mean? Vulnerance, ability to be wounded. Right. Um, what is the ultimate revelation of the love of God on this earth? It's when Christ's heart was split open by a sword. Right. And And he says, follow me follow me. If we follow him, our hearts are going to be rent. They're going to be split. They're going to be broken. But in being split open, in being broken open, we're going to start to see the world the way it really is. And I think to myself, what a wonderful world. I think to myself, what a wonderful world. Oh yeah.
1: <laughs> You're beautiful. You're beautiful. And I do want to say one, one other thing, um, because we're talking about, you know, taking our beauty and our hunger to the infinite one. And we spoke a little bit about this, but the, the, the good news is for the people that are like, well, what is our hunger? What does arrows have to do with the liturgy or whatever? And it's like, he gets in as Christopher just said he got into this whole chapter about eating and everything but the thing is it's not like we just we just point it spiritually in prayer and just wait one day till heaven but the lord actually descends yes. there's a representation at every mass where we get to literally consume eat our deepest hunger okay is in Christ in the Eucharist he has given his body the beautiful one the infinite one has given his body as bread his blood as wine in the Eucharist we get a a and correct me if i'm wrong here but a sacramental it, it, yes it is Christ totally 100% body yes. blood soul, and divinity um and we get that that bread from heaven Christ himself in our in our body in our souls that's the the nuptial mystery, the, the mystery uh, between the, the love of a man and a woman or marriage, it, it points to the the even deeper communion yes. Yes. in the Eucharist. There's Great, a nuptial that is going on. So you're like, well, what do I do with this hunger? I mean, do I just have to keep praying or you know, it's like, but no, literally open your mouth and he will Fill it.
0: Yes, that's the you final chapter it. of the book. Yes. Open wide your mouth and you will fill your
1: it. mouth, and you will receive God, God, on your tongue, in your Ooh. heart, in your mind, and your soul. And you also get to drink Him. So it's not like, hey, just wait until you get to heaven, because heaven comes to us. Heaven comes to us at every single mass, and then you and I, we actually become divinized we are not god with a capital g but he who is divine exists in us that's when we we're told to go i love this very the very please word. help me find it like right now the very last thing uh, that you said, I think it's the, literally la- the last thing. So to the d- degree that we see sacramentally, we desire to live, to give others what does not come with us. Sacrament, the language I give them myself. Okay. So the word at Mass comes from this missio, for having received the sacrament of all we are desire, which we do because we desire it is Christ, the infinite one, the beautiful one, the creator, having received him in our body, in our soul. Right, mingled with our own blood, we are then we uh we are then sent on mission for having received the sacrament of all we desire. We are sent go and announce the gospel of the Lord to others who are also structurally disproportionate,
0: meaning they, they hunger for something they can't feed themselves they, with.
1: They hunger for something they can't feed themselves, but we have just been fed with something right. that That's he exactly. can feed us with. Right. So I love I, this is Albusetti's words where he goes. If you go and announce the gospel of the Lord to those who are also structurally disproportionate, they will thank you or maybe crucify you. But woe to us if we do not share what we have been given. And I wrote on the end there, amen. Amen. There it is. Amen. This is, it's there, baby. It's in the liturgy. It's in Christ comes to us. We can't get it ourselves, we can't fill ourselves. But he can, and he gives us a, a literal taste, a literal taste at the mass. Amen. Nowhere else we could go for it. So
0: hey, Paul, you know what? Uh, I will send me an email and I will send you the bonus chapter. I okay. didn't send you the bonus chapter. You'll, you'll enjoy that too.
1: Awesome. So listen, where can we tell people to uh, get this right yes, now? How can eating, we? What, what do we want to plug?
0: Eatingthesunrise.com Eating right sunrise.com you can uh by the time this episode airs the book might already be available if it's not you can put in your pre-order and uh, there's lots of goodies in there that we have including that bonus chapter that's that's not part of the published book but we'll send you the pdf bonus chapter if you do the pre-order and there's going to be an audiobook version of it as well we've already recorded it and as soon as gets edited we'll have that released
1: Oh, I'm so somebody just asked me about it because I had a conversation last night till two 30 in the morning with two great people. They really want to believe in in a sense they do, but they had so many questions about reincarnation about the whole spirit and everything. And I'm like, as I'm reading this book, I texted them. I said, uh, this book isn't out yet, but you must get this book. You must. And they said, totally. Is it on audible? So anyway, are eating the com. Yep. All right. Yep. Correct? All right. Yep. This will come out October 12th. Do you know when the book comes out?
0: Uh, either that week or the week after.
1: Okay, great. Is there anything else that we could plug for you in general?
0: Uh, I would just encourage people, if you're learning about Theology of the Body Institute for the first time through this podcast, uh, you can go to our website, theologyofthebody.com. You can check us out on YouTube. We have 500, 600-plus videos on YouTube. Uh, my wife and I do a podcast called The Ask Christopher West Show, hosted by Wendy West. Anywhere you listen to podcasts, you'll you'll enjoy that.
1: It's very good, by the way. It is it is a very, a very, very good. Uh, also, um, I well, I don't remember Maybe it's too late to plug this pilgrimage, but you also you're gonna be stuck with me in a couple of weeks. That's right. Um, We're
0: going to France.
1: You are your institute is running a pilgrimage to France. I am going
0: as a pilgrim. I can't wait. We had it, we had a medical cancellation, so we have one room available. If anybody is out there listening and wants to come and be with Father Paul and me for two weeks, almost two weeks in France. Woo! 10 days, I think. Um uh, yeah, we just had a, the boat was full. It's a river cruise. The boat was full, but we had a medical cancellation. So uh go to Tobpilgrimages.com. Tobpilgrimages.com. Father Paul, I have another meeting I'm already late for. So oh, I I'm so moment. sorry.
1: I'm All sorry. right, brother. God bless you. Also, he's running one to the Holy Land ne- next year. Look into that. Go to his pilgrimage. Love you. Thank you. Thanks for your time. Sorry. I, I-, I should have asked when right, you had to go. Peace. All
0: right. Peace.
1: See you very soon. Love you, brother. Thank you for joining me for another episode of a Holy Mess Podcast. Please see the show notes in the description for this episode for more details and information about the topic and or the guest. You will find links and resources there to supplement this episode and help you along your messy but holy journey. Please also like, comment, subscribe, download, rate, review, and share all episodes. I want to thank Mike Mangione for providing me with the podcast theme song, Can You Love Me Falling, from his album, Red Winged Blackbird Man. Finally, please note that while me, I, whatever the grammar is, Father Paul Hulis, while I am a priest for the Archdiocese of Newark, a Holy Mess with his Holy Mess podcast is not affiliated with the Archdiocese of Newark in any way, including fundraising efforts. This podcast is purely the personal hobby product and evangelization effort of Father Paul Houlis. Please join us again next time for another Holy Mess of an episode. Peace. <laughs> Yeah!